Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. Well, good morning. Welcome. So glad you're here. If you got your Bibles, please open to the book of Isaiah. We are in the 24th chapter of Isaiah. What is sometimes called Isaiah's apocalypse. So yes, we are going to be talking about some pretty heavy stuff today, but uh, it's okay. It's a good thing. You know, the world that you and I live in is temporary. We, we, like, to, we like permanence, don't we? We like things to continue the way they've always been. We don't like. We don't normally like change. We we struggle as humans to embrace change. We we think in a. I know in the Western world we think in a linear fashion. We think that everything is in a straight line, and 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 the way it was here is the same as it is here. The reality is things are constantly changing, and actually everything is in a cycle. Things are constantly on the move. We find, see, we find comfort in consistency. When you, when you and I get up in the morning, we like to know what our day is going to be like. We, we know that the sun is coming up in the east. If the sun came up in the west, I think most of us would probably be a little nervous. What's going on, right? We, we like it to be the way it's always been. I mean, how many of you, when you're driving places, take the same route every single time you go to that place? Yeah, we all do, because we, we know it, our mind automatically goes to it. Sometimes I like to take a different route and try to convince my wife I'm not lost. <laughs> but we do that, we, we, we're in, we like that common feeling. Some of us have the same morning routine. So many brushes on this side, so many brushes on that side. You know, There's comfort in that. But the interesting thing is, even though we have all those things that we do to, to keep the consistency, you and I actually live in what's called a throwaway society. Things don't last as long as they used to. And I know that sounds like some old guy sitting on his front porch saying, just don't make things the way they used to. Well, they don't, actually. Things are made with what is called planned obsolescence. It means that when you buy your car, they know on average how long that car is going to last. And it's not made to last forever. And when you get one that lasts 400,000 miles, it's a, wow. I mean, go to Honda, you get these, your picture up on a, on a board. You know, That person whose engine blew up at 120,000 miles, their picture isn't up on the board. But we live in that kind of world. But see... What we have to understand is that our world was created with planned obsolescence. Our world has been created to end, to change, to be different. One thing is I was doing some research on the whole idea of planned obsolescence. And one interesting little fact is, you know, Apple has infamously been throttling the old phones down for many years. And if those of you don't know what that means is, so your phone has a certain amount of speed that it talks to the towers. And what Apple was doing was, as their phones got older, they would throttle them down, which means you didn't have as much speed on your phone. Now, they claimed it was because of the battery and all the excuses they had. 
But the problem was because it was more people in the network, so they would throttle down the older phones. Well, there was a lawsuit filed, and it doesn't happen anymore. At least they say that it doesn't happen anymore. In fact, it cost them $500 million when they got caught doing it. In fact, what's interesting is that after this happened, a new option was added to it in order to, to you could disable it, that function where it reduces the speed. But it was still planned. The world and everything that we know is temporary. And one day, it will end. You know, Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1.24, it says, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls. Our bodies were created with planned obsolescence. I'm starting to feel that a lot more these days when my body doesn't work the way it's supposed to, as it did when I was younger. Our bodies, because of our world, they fail. The end is near. Uh, It's the end of the world as we know it. And those of you who know R.E.M. know that song. Kept burning through my head as I was writing this, but it's very apropos. What we know today is going to end. But it's nothing new. People have been talking about the fact that the world was going to end for a long time, going all the way back to the first century. They've been warning us that the end is near. Back in the first millennium, which would have been the first thousand years, Hippolytus of Rome and Sextus Julius Africanus and Irenaeus, all three predicted that Jesus would return in the year 500. By the way, that didn't happen. And Pope Sylvester II predicted that 1000 A.D. would be the end of the world. Uh, From the 11th to the 15th centuries, many believed that Jesus returned in 1033, which was a thousand years after his death. From 1200 to 1260, there was a mystic, an Italian mystic called uh, Joachim Joachim of Flore. He claimed the millennium, the millennial kingdom, would begin in the year 1200. The Black Death in 1346 to 1351 was seen as a sign of the end times. 16th century, Martin Luther predicted the end of the world in 1600. French theologians wrote in 1400 that 6,845 years of human history had had passed and the end of the world would come in year 7,000. So in 1400, they said 6,845 years had passed, so there was only 155 years left and then the world would end. Well, that didn't happen either. In the 17th century, this one I found interesting, Christopher Columbus predicted in 1501 that the world would end in 1658. A mathematician, John Napier, calculated that according to his calculations from the book of Revelation, that the world would end in 1688. In the 18th century, theologian William Winston predicted that a comet would collide with the earth in 1736 and bring the end. And Cardinal Pierre de Alle thought in 1789 would be the end of the year and that the Antichrist would come to power. Now, I could go on and on and on, but you get the point. The world People have always thought that the world was going to end. There are even scientists who are claiming that in 22 billion years the universe will end. Now, there have been many false warnings and false doctrines proclaiming that man's history, that that man was going to end, the history of man was going to end, the world was going to end. And they haven't come true. But you must understand the truth still remains. 
And what we're going to see today in our verses is that God has spoken and he has ordained that the world is to be judged. And of what we see today, what you and I are experiencing today will come to an end. God has spoken. It will happen. Peter warned us in 2 Peter 3, he says, Knowing, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. I I see this today. People say, it's not going to happen. The world's not going to end. Come on. They're following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since our fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. But they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perish. He's saying the world existed long ago. From water, it was created. God called it out by speaking and then it was destroyed by that very same water. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. You know, we in Isaiah, we've been looking at these chronicles, these oracles, these predictions, these prophecies that Isaiah has been speaking against the nations, and they've all come true. And and the message is very clear. Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he is the ruler of all the earth. He is the one who puts in place rulers. He is the one who determines the times, who sets the times, sets when things happen and why they happen. He is sovereign. And I want you to understand this idea quickly, this idea of sovereignty. Sovereignty does not mean that God controls everything that happens, meaning that he makes everything happen. So when a child dies, that's God working. That's not, that's not God's sovereignty. What, mean, what God says is God is sovereign is everything happens, he either makes it happen or he allows it to happen. Why would he allow it to happen? Well, I, I go back to, did, did God, was it God's will for Abraham to have more than one wife? No. God allowed it, and it caused him a lot of trouble. Was it God's will for Lot to sleep with his daughters and have children? No. But he allowed it. It's what you call free will. God is sovereign. God allows things to happen, but everything works around for his good. Was it God's will that that Satan would be the accuser and go out and tempt the world. That's not his will. He doesn't want that. God's will is for all to come to salvation, but he knows that not everybody will. But he's still sovereign. It's still his world. He created it. He is sovereign king over all the nations of the earth, whether we recognize it or not. Now what Isaiah is now going to share with us in chapter 24 is that God is going to judge the world. So let's take a look at it. I first want to look at the fact that this is going to be a universal judgment. It's not just going to be judgment on one nation like we have seen previously in the the previous chapters. This is judgment for the whole world. And this is what Isaiah wrote. He says, Behold, the Lord will empty the earth 
and make it desolate. And he will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants. And it shall be as with the people, so with the priest, and so with the slave, so with his master, as with the maid, so with her mistress, as with the buyer, so with the seller, as with the lender, so with the borrower, as with the creditor, so with the debtor. The earth shall be utterly empty and utterly plundered, for the Lord has spoken this word. Isaiah begins the section with this word, behold. He's saying, listen to this. You, this is important. You must hear this because this is, this is something that's amazing. It's drawing attention to what he's about to speak. It's kind of like, you know, when I, when, I, when I want to really get my kids' attention, what do I do? I, I, look at me, look at me, look at me, right? <laughs> look me in the eye because I want you to pay attention to what I'm going to say to you. This is so important. This is God saying, behold, look at me. The world is going to be made empty and desolate. People, the, one, the people who are here are going to be scattered all over the earth. Now, at the, at the time, you would think that's, you know, well, there were probably not that many people, not as many as there are today, but can you imagine the number of people we have today, the billions of people we have today, and only 10% of them are left? And those that are left are scattered over the face of the earth. The judgment of God is going to be over all nations. A person's status in life, whether they are a lender or a borrower or maid, a servant, a master, doesn't matter. Everyone who's here will be affected by this. This is, this is not just God looking at one nation and judging them. This is God looking at all humanity. Rich, poor, ruler, citizen, master, servant, it doesn't matter. All humanity is going to come under God's judgment. And we know that this is going to occur. Why? For the Lord has spoken this word. God does not lie. God does not say things that are not going to occur. All prophecy that God spoke has come true. And why? But why is this going to happen? Why is God going to do this? We find out in verses 4 through 6. It says, The earth moans and withers. The world languishes and withers. The highest people of the earth languish. The earth lies defiled under its inhabitants. For they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore a curse devours the earth, and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are scorched, and few men are left. See, what has happened is humanity... They're languishing, which means they're suffering. Why? Because they have rejected God. You look at our society today, and I would ask you, have we rejected God as a society? Now, you can look at sometimes and you say, well, not really, these good things are happening, but I think as a whole, I, I think we are rejecting God. We are rejecting God. When we teach our children in schools things we shouldn't be teaching our children in schools, we're rejecting God. We've ignored his laws, his statutes, and his covenant. And so what's happening is mankind is getting what he deserves. Revelation 16, 8, 9 is going to give us a more detailed account of this scorching that will occur. Um, it says, in Revelation 16, it says, the fourth angel, this is, John is 
watching the angels, we're at the bold judgments, which are the worst judgments. It starts with the starts with the seal judgments, and it goes to the trumpet judgments, and now it's it's the bold judgments. It's progressively, it's all worse things that are happening. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent, and they did not give him glory. Now, I know, it's hot today, it's humid, it was hot yesterday and humid. I go outside, and I walk from my garage to my detached garage or to my shed, and i got to change my shirt. It's so hot and humid. Any work I do outside, it's terrible. That's nothing compared to what this is going to be like. You will feel instantly feel burned on your skin. Why? Because we have denied God. Now, our world is polluted. And I, I don't mean I don't mean from an environmental standpoint what the environmentalists call polluted. In fact, I would argue that when I was growing up, I think things were much worse as far as the environment goes than now. There are more trees. You know, it's, it's, it's much better than we were. But this is another issue altogether. This isn't about environmentalism. Now, let me just say this about environmentalism, and you've, you've heard me say this before. We were ordered by God to, no, to, to take care of the earth, to subdue it, and to care for it. And yes, many times humanity has done things and we have disobeyed and we have not kept that responsibility. But that's, but I think even more so than environmental pollution, I think we have polluted the world morally. In Matthew 12, Jesus has given us this critical, what I would call a critical spiritual law. And I think this is part of the reason why we have polluted our world. Jesus says, knowing their thoughts, it says that Jesus, knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. A church divided against itself will not stand. That's why I'm so adamant about church unity. It doesn't mean we always agree on everything. It doesn't mean we don't have conversations and struggles. What it does mean is we still love each other through it. And we can still stay together because of that love we have for each other. But see, the, the thing about this, this is, this is a very important spiritual law that God laid down for us. And because we know it, Satan also knows it. And he uses it as a weapon to destroy marriages, families, ministries, friendships, businesses. All types of relationships are damaged by this idea of pitting us against each other. And most of the time, I'll be honest with you, it's for petty things that really do not matter in the grand scheme. And his plan is simple. If he can pit us against each other, sow disunity in our marriages, our families, our churches, our friendships... He wins. What we face today is a rash of unwed single mothers, high divorce rate in the church, pressure to accept homosexuality as a normative, alternative lifestyle, sexual perversions are no longer hidden in the shadows. They're right there in the TV commercials. Not even in the, it's in the programs too, but I mean in the TV commercials. 
I can't even let my kids watch TV now unless I'm there. All of these and the death of millions of unborn children are all designed to destroy and annihilate the family, to destroy our relationships, and to destroy the church, and ultimately in the end to destroy society. We we forget especially, and I think this is part of our problem, and I don't just mean right now, but I mean throughout our society, throughout time, as a country, we forget what it says in Proverbs 29.2. It says, When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. I'll let you decide at which time in history, and who was in charge, which one it was. I'm not past that. That's your judgment to make. All I'm saying is, who rules us matters. Humanity stands condemned. We're living under the curse of God. And so, very few are going to survive. It's going to be a devastating judgment. Back to Isaiah 24, verse 7. It says, The wine mourns, the vine languishes, all the merry-hearted sigh. The mirth of the tambourines is stilled. The noise of the jubilant has ceased. The mirth of the lyre is stilled. No more do they drink wine with singing. Strong drink is bitter to those who drink it. The wasted city is broken down. Every house is shut up so, so that none can enter. There is an outcry in the streets for lack of wine. All the joy has gone dark, has grown dark, and the gladness of the earth is banished. Desolation has left the city, and the gates are battered into ruins. For thus it shall be in the midst of the earth among the nations, as when an olive tree is beaten... As at the gleaning when the grape harvest is done, they lift up their voices, they sing for joy over the majesty of the Lord, they shout from the west, therefore in the east give glory to the Lord, in the coastlands of the sea give glory to the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. From the ends of the earth we hear songs of praise, of glory to the righteous one, but I say, I waste away, I waste away, woe is me, for the traitors have betrayed with betrayal, the traitors have betrayed. You see, the, the impact of the judgment of God is going to be felt throughout the whole world. In rural areas, the vineyards are going to be ruined. In the cities, the homes are going to be boarded up. There's not going to be dancing in the streets anymore like Mardi Gras in New Orleans or New Year's Eve in New York City. Gloom and despair will hang over everything. People are going to be terrified as a, as a society breaks down. As a society breaks down, people become scared, fearful. They shut each other out. You know, what we experienced during the lockdowns, that was nothing compared to what it's going to be like. Isn't this a, just a lovely message? Isn't this just an uplifting message? I, I, but I think we need to know this, that this stuff, God has said this is going to occur. It's going to occur. Why? Why do people act that way? Why do they shut everybody out? The mythology of human pride always leads us to human desolation. We always 
separate in our pride. Now there will be some who will survive, but they'll be like the grapes or the olives that are left at the top of the trees and the vines after the harvesters have gleaned. You know how they harvest um, olives? They, they set a sheet of material all around the tree and they beat the tree and the olives fall. Well, obviously, we were picking our, picking our peaches yesterday and luckily our tree is so heavy it you know, was almost to the ground so I didn't have to beat the tree or climb up on a ladder. But there's always some that are easy to get off and there's some that are hard to pull off. And that's what it's going to be like. There's going to be very few left on the tree. But see, even in the midst of this, and this is why we need to know this, even in the midst of this, the, the remnant, the, the ones that God has called, they're, they're going to rejoice over this righteous judgment. If you go through the book of Revelation, when, when judgment occurs, heavenly hosts, they worship God because of it. But there's one who doesn't, and that's Isaiah. And why, why doesn't he rejoice? I think because he knows that this corrective judgment, which is the purpose for it, is to correct us. This corrective judgment is not going to change people. Humanity is not going to change its ways. But see, Isaiah still has a burden for his lost generation. And you and I, we need to have a burden for this generation that we're living in, this lost generation. We, we can't sit here with blinders on thinking that everything is wonderful. The church is, is decreasing in numbers. And, I, and it may be, you look at these megachurches, yeah, but they're, you know, they got 3,000 people in that church. Yeah, they got 3,000 people and maybe 300 real believers. If they're lucky. And maybe one or two of those are actually pastors and on staff. This is the world we're living in. People are not turning to God. The judgment is coming. But we still need to have a heart for the lost. And we need to save as many as we can. Warning them. Yeah, we need to teach them about the love of Christ. We need to teach them about salvation. Why it's so important to believe in Christ because we're sinners. Christ died for us. But we also have to tell them that you must understand that judgment is coming. And the only way to escape that judgment is through belief in Christ because of what he did. If you haven't placed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, you will have to go through this judgment. And you may not make it. I was listening to a video. This guy, has um, he's a pastor, and he, he makes these YouTube videos um, about different subjects. And somebody had wrote into him and said, you know, you were talking about the mark of the beast last week and, you know, how you can't buy or sell if you've got the mark. He says, I'm a Christian. I'm going to take the mark so I can take care of my family, and I think God will honor that. He tell, tells the guy, no, he won't, because God said if you take the mark, you are under the judgment of God. You're not a Christian. You're not a believer. 
many will not change their ways. And that can be frustrating as you're sharing the gospel that they walk away. But we still have to do it. Because the judgment is inescapable. Look at verse 17 of Isaiah 24. It says, Terror and the pit and the snare are upon you, O inhabitant of the earth. He who flees at the sound of terror shall fall into a pit. And he who climbs out of the pit shall be caught in the snare. Well, that's a lovely picture. <laughs> you fall in a pit, you get out, and you get caught in a snare. That would be my day, you know. I spill coffee on myself, and then, you know, and then later on I spilled food on myself, you know. But that's nothing compared to this. For the windows of heaven are opened, and the foundations of the earth tremble. The earth is utterly broken. The earth is split apart. The earth is violently shaken. The earth staggers like a drunken man. It sways like a hut. Its transgressions lies heavy upon it, and it falls and will not rise again. See, those who, those who don't know Christ attempt to run away from the judgment. If we look at Revelation 6, we can see a comparison. And this is back in the sealed judgments. And John was seen. He says, When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll. Remember it says, Isaiah said, the heavens are opened up. That is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Now think about that. All over the world, every mountain moving. Talk about an earthquake. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling out to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come. Who can stand? Like scared animals running from a hunter. People will attempt to flee. They will try to run. But what they find out that once they start fleeing, they fall into a pit. They can't get away from it. And when they climb out of it, they get caught in a snare. Why? Because you can't run from God. You can't. Oh, you can try. You can try to run from his judgment, but there's no running from it. Your only hope is Jesus. Isaiah sees God's judgment as this deluge, this wave, this tidal wave that's inescapable. You, many of you um, have probably seen videos of the, of the tidal waves that hit Indonesia, the tsunami as it hit Japan. I mean, there was no running from it. If you were on the beach when it hit, you're, you're gone. It covers you. It sweeps you away. The old order of things is going to be gone, never to return. Now, the judgment is orderly. Verse 21 says, On that day the Lord will punish the host of heaven, in heaven, and the kings of the earth, on the earth. They will be gathered together as prisoners in a pit. They will be shut up in a prison, and after many days they will be punished. 
Then the moon will be confounded and the sun is shame for the Lord of hosts reigns on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and his glory will be before his elders. The first ones to stand judgment will be the um, host of heaven, the heavenly host. These are the ones, these are the sons of God, the Benai Elohim that we read about in Genesis that came down and had relations with women and created the Nephilim. We've studied that when we were looking quite a while ago when we were looking at um, Supernatural, the book Supernatural. If you want to read it, read it in Genesis. It's, all, it's the, the the council of God in Deuteronomy that's in there. It's in, in Psalms. It's in, in Job. All of those. But these are heavenly beings. These are the heavenly hosts who are kept in chains. And we read about them in Jude. First of all, Jude 1, 6 says, And the angels who did not... St-, and that's not a very good interpretation, by the way, of that word the Hebrew word that's used, but they use angelos, angels. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. And then Peter also talks about him in Second Peter 2.4. So for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. God is first going to judge them, then he's going to judge the kings of the earth who have been influenced to make war upon the people of God. Now, I understand. It's very easy today to be skeptical skeptical of these judgments in Scripture, and still we, we, we can hold our head high. In fact, I'll be honest with you. In today's world, if you doubt the Bible, what the Bible says, people lift you up. Oh, you're enlightened. We look at the absurdity of life and we wonder, where's God? People wonder, where's God in all this? But there are solid answers to that question. Because following Christ, trusting him as Lord and Savior of life, does not take a huge leap of faith. It takes a logic of faith. If you want to... There's many, many books out there, but obviously um, there, there is the evidence, uh, I think it's, uh, no, I'm just pulling this out of my head, so i got to remember this. Um, evidence demands a verdict is one. talks about looking at it from a logical standpoint, whether or not Jesus was who he said he was, and the Bible's right. There are many others. We all have doubts. Life sometimes knocks us off balance and off center. We struggle to live boldly for Christ. But the day is coming when God is going to reveal his glory with such a brilliance that even the sun and moon are going to hang their head in shame. Don't you love a full moon? Or even a partial moon? And it's bright. That's nothing compared to what God's glory is going to shine. We're, we will delight in the glory of God, and those who are condemned will rage with hate for God's glory. But in the end, everyone honors God. In fact, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth. Every knee is going to bow and give Christ glory. And they'll either be in heaven giving him a tribute to his grace or in hell as a witness to his grace. So what does this mean? Why, why, why 
Why is this in here? Why is chapter 24? Why are we seeing this apocalypse of Isaiah? Well, first of all, and I, I gave you this last week, we need to run to Christ in all things. There's no ark this time. Don't think it's not coming because you can't see the evidence. It's coming. It's coming, and our only rescue, our only hope is Jesus Christ. Run to him. The second thing we need to do, we need, we need to look at the world differently. We need to, to, to understand that this is all temporary. Don't live for the things of this world. Don't live for the stuff that you have. Don't live for your possessions, your ambitions, your accolades. Look at everything as temporary. Treasure those things you need to treasure. Treasure your family. Treasure your relationships. Treasure those times you have with friends. But don't live for them. Thirdly, live like Peter tells us in 1 Peter. He says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. That means don't talk bad about each other. Be kind, loving, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. See, even Peter had doubts that they were all believers in the church. If you truly tasted that the Lord is good, then drink spiritual milk that's going to lead you to grow up into salvation and be able to have spiritual meat. Fight the battle of sanctification. Fourth and final one. Do the mission that God has given us. Be willing to be weird. And tell those you encounter in your life that the world's going to end. They're going to think you're crazy. It's okay. Because what you can do then is tell them, but there's hope. And that hope is Jesus Christ. See, the world is going to end one day. The question is, are we ready? And the beauty is that Christ is the one who got us ready. And that's why we celebrate communion. We celebrate communion because we're celebrating the fact that Jesus died on the cross, paid our price so that we do not have to worry about Isaiah's apocalypse or John's apocalypse, which is actually God's apocalypse, both of them. We don't have to worry about that. We don't have to live in fear of that. In fact, we don't have to live in fear of anything. We don't have to act out in our fear. Because of this that we're going to celebrate today. Because Christ died for us. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're watching on YouTube, please like this video as it will help in spreading this message into the global online community. Please consider subscribing to our page so that you will receive notices when we post new messages. If you're watching this on Rumble, please hit the Rumble button for this video so that the gospel can be spread into the What Rumble community. Also, consider subscribing to our Rumble channel. You can also listen to our podcast on Amazon Music and Apple Podcasts. We hope you have a blessed day.